Welcome to Business Matters with me, your host, Anameen Templeton, on this wonderful day of Yom Al-Arbiya. That's Wednesday. Oh no, sorry, it's Yom Al-Athalatha. I'm, I'm, I'm determined to continue giving these Muslim names, Arabic names, until I remember them all. Uh, so you're going to have to excuse me every day. I'm going to be starting with my mispronunciations and so on, but inshallah... My tongue and my heart is going to come on board, and soon it'll be tripping off my tongue. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, a revert into Islam. 19 years in Islam, and I still don't know the days of the week. Uh, yeah, you know, it's all these small little things you've got to pay attention to. Uh, any businessman knows that. You've got to pay attention to the details. You look after the rands and cents, and the pounds take care of themselves. The rands and pence, I suppose we should say. Uh, rands and cents... You look after the saints and the rands will take over, look after themselves. Well, uh, another day, another day dusted here in South Africa. Uh, We had inflation figures coming out today, reserve bank figures, uh, foreign direct investment looking looking very good for the last year, I must say. Uh, Perhaps we should personally thank President Cyril Ramaphosa or perhaps we should give each of us a pat on the back. Well done. South Africans, we, we're getting more direct investment into the country. Uh, unfortunately, portfolio investment into South Africa has fallen back significantly. That's the carry trade that we rely on, keeping our interest rates high in South Africa and allowing big, fat American investors uh, who do nothing, uh, European investors, Japanese investors, who've got very low interest rates in their countries to take out loans and uh, bring that money here across to South Africa. And uh, and then they invest in the stock exchange uh, and they buy stocks like single stock futures, which allow you to invest in the underlying interest rate rather than uh, in the um, dividend paid out to shareholders. And uh, so your 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 broker that you're dealing with will get the benefit of of the dividend if there is one. And uh, you will instead invest directly in interest rate. You know what your interest rate is. You know what the interest rate here is in South Africa. You play with the riba, you do nothing, and you take your money back to America or Britain or France or Japan. And uh, and you get fat. Fatter. It's not like you're, you're shortage of fat in America. Um, Japan, there is a very healthy eating, a lot of fish. Uh, seem to stay away from a lot of red meat. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> enough of dietary habits around the world. Uh, on the JSE today, which we kind of use as uh, some kind of benchmark of our wider economic health, uh, we see that the All Share Index uh, finished down for today. Well, it's had a, a rather few good days, but it did lose a significant ground, 1.24%. It's currently sitting on 56,145.67. And and the top 40 index, uh, weighted with international shares, uh, dominated there by Naspers, of course, with its 10 cent shareholding. Uh, the all the top 40 index is down uh, 1.28% on the day on 49,827. The rand, however, conversely, has done rather well, uh, slightly, slightly better than uh, its closes yesterday. Currently on 14.38 to the dollar. 1897 to the pound and 1632 to the euro. It's always nice to see it coming below 19 to the pound. Uh, Brexit uh, worries in America. I mean, 
Brexit worries in Britain, of course, weighing uh, on the pound. Uh, Europe said today that, look, we're not interested in giving any more extensions or anything. Make your mind, what are you going to do? Um, UK Parliament refusing to vote for a second time. The Speaker sat up in, uh, in the British Parliament yesterday and said, I'm sorry, you want to bring a vote on the same thing that you brought a few days ago. There's no difference. You haven't changed anything here. Now you want to have a second vote on it. That's against parliamentary rules and he chucked it out. Well, good for them. At least someone in the British Parliament has got a bit of sense. Uh, as we said yesterday, you can't you can't change things simply by 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 putting it to the vote over and over and over again. It's like uh, Einstein would say: the height of foolishness is uh, repeating uh, the same process and expecting a different outcome. And of course, this is like sort of systemic superstition. Uh, Voting uh, can't solve everything and doesn't solve everything. People in America and Britain and France and South Africa who go to the polls know that it's going to have a very little outcome on their lives. It's going to have a, a very little change. Only every now and then you see a watershed. Uh, very infrequently, it's a bit like interest rates, you know. Um, you say to yourself, well, in four years' time, I'm going to change my vote. You'll see. Uh, that's going to affect the government. Right now, oh yeah, you've got a minister in place. He's putting a putting some deals together. Uh, their their completion date is like in ten years' time. He signs all the deals. He's four years, ten years up, and he disappears. He doesn't have to take responsibility for the final outcomes, and he gets nice little rewards from his corporate buddies as a result of giving them nice sweet deals. Uh, is that a nasty way to sum up Western democracy, uh, the party political system? It's just a mask on the face of evil people. It's a, it's a, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm really starting to get uh, off, off, off track right now. Let's just stick to the JSE for the moment. Uh, most viewed shares, according to the ShareNet website today, uh, Steinoff again is uh, most viewed share. It's funny how people, um, there's a lot of Steinoff news coming out. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's a bit like, uh, you know, the ESCOM power stations. We said yesterday there's uh, a lot of activity but not much going on. Um, we've heard that the police have been investigating. Uh, the, the Hawks say that they're calling in a whole lot of people today. That's after the embarrassing revelation that for the past year, yesterday, they revealed in Parliament they've been working on one on one uh, trade, I mean, there are thousands of trades, dodgy trades that are available all everywhere. And uh, they worked on one trade. They're still busy working, trying to figure out what happened with one trade. And then they said, as they're about to reach the conclusions, they realized that there's another 10 trades that are also a bit dodgy. Like, uh, you know, um, everyone back in December 2017 knew that there were a multiplicity of uh, dodgy deals that the senior executives in Steinhoff got up to over the years. Uh, and, uh, you know, two years later, the Hawks come to Parliament and they say they're still busy investigating one deal. Hmm. Well, anyway, there'll be more in Steinhoff coming up in a little while. Uh, we'll be discussing uh, inflation figures, foreign direct investment figures, uh, headaches for Boeing as a result of uh, outcomes, more embarrassing revelations uh, in the outcome of that horrific crash in Ethiopia uh, just 10 days ago. Uh, a lot of comparisons with the Lion Air crash in Indonesia uh, about uh, six months ago. Uh, also, the Labour Court has, has ruled that a wage agreement on Zimbabwe mines is fine to cover all workers on the mines and is basically making the, the AMCU strike there illegal. Whether or not they're going to follow up on that remains to be seen. AMCU, of course, is known for its hard-headedness. 
Neil Froneman, the head of AMCO, is calling them to respect the ruling, uh, but whether or not uh, they're going to is, is another matter. Um, to recognize practice, fact in uh, trade union negotiations, industrial relations, that it always comes down to a matter of power. Courts can do so much. You can make the rules as to collective bargaining. You can make the rules as to strike activity and so on. But in actual fact, when it comes down to the end, <coughs> who's going who's gonna to be harder? Are the workers going to be harder or is management going to be harder? It's a matter of power. That's something that has been recognized in uh, South African Labor relations law since uh, 1981, I think it was, when they uh, legalized trade unions during apartheid in South Africa. It was was quite a, like, what the heck is going on here? But anyway, okay, that's industrial relations stuff. Uh, Let's not get caught away with it. Palladium's hitting an all-time high today. Inshallah, we're getting back to that a little bit late in the show. yeah, it's 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 amazing. I've, I've actually been doing a lot of reading into the bank collusion investigations by the uh, Competition Commission. I'm not yet ready to start talking on that kind of thing. I'm also looking at the Leviathan uh, oil fields of uh, of Palestine. Uh, of course, they're being grabbed by Israel, and Israel's of course controlling access to any other of the oil majors that want to get hold of those oil fields. But of course, the oil fields don't belong to them, just like the land doesn't belong to them. But nevertheless, like the European Union is climbing all over Venezuela, so the European Union and America is also climbing all over the Palestinian oil fields. We are, we're inshallah in a few shows' time where we will be discussing these issues, as well as the state of the diamond, the global diamond industry, also a very big thing uh, there. We, we mentioned them a few days ago. Uh, very interesting things about diamonds and uh, how they how they traded around the world and who's behind all the the dodgy deals that go on with blood diamonds and so on. Uh, huh? All of these years and still blood diamonds have been traded all around the world despite the Kimberley process being implemented and overseen by De Beers. You know, like the worst miscreant in terms of diamond dealing and, and it's like putting, it's putting uh, the hyena in charge of the hen house. Okay, right, well, let's get on with things. Oh, wait, wait, we have a game with the winners and losers on the JSE today. Uh, the big big winners on the JSE today, Vivo, the oil company, the, the Shell service station company that uh, sells for Shell in the rest of Africa, excluding South Africa. Northam Platinum uh, Mining Company is the third biggest winner. Bitcorp uh, from uh, the Bitvest stable is up at 2.13%, and that's the third biggest winner on the JSC today. Harmony also up, as is Old Mutual. Uh, Investec PLC, a big loser today. Uh, Investec Limited, that's it's a South African um, uh, it's a South African stock in South Africa on the JSE, the second biggest loser. Uh, Mass Mart, that's because of its exposure to the pound, of course. Um, about pound losing significant ground today. Big slap in the face for for May, Theresa May, the Prime Minister of Britain, coming from the European Union, not doing well for the pound. And, and like we see against the Rand, it's below 19 to the pound. Uh, uh, Mass Mart, third biggest loser. Uh, Breit and PNR Foods, uh, those take up the losing stocks on the JSE today. 
Uh, getting on to inflation figures, right? Well, inflation is still sitting around 4.1% on an annual basis, only increased 0.8% month on month uh, if, uh, February to, to January. Uh, according to the reserve, to this um, stat South Africa, price growth has trended below the Reserve Bank's target of between 3 and 6% for three months in a row. That's now prompting calls from people for a rate cut. Uh, but now here you see, this is the uh, this is the rub. Herein lies the rub. You see, uh, the Reserve Bank is supposedly independent, but it wants to keep, uh, and the government is supposed to be on the side of the voters. And uh, and this is how the Western system, you know, it, it forces political parties to betray those who uh, who elected them. It forces uh, corporations to prey on those that make up their consumer base. And, uh, of course, well, the banks are always enemies of everyone, aren't they? Uh, and, uh, yeah, so now uh, the corporations, the JSE, uh, and the Reserve Bank, and the government, they're all colluding against us. This whole system brings them all together. You see, uh, the government has got to take on debt. It's got to take on more and more debt. It's got to pay for, uh, you know, uh, chief ex- uh, uh, state-owned enterprises, chief executives, and mistresses, second home and third home, and has got to send their children uh, off to schools in Switzerland and so on. You know, uh, so we've got to keep this foreign di- this foreign investment coming into South Africa. And if direct investment, which is a specific form of investment, that's investment in factories. It's in, in capital equipment. It's, uh, it's in, in fixed property. It's in the ground. It buys earth, you know. Well, that's what foreign direct investment does. You bring manufacturing capabilities or distribution capabilities or service capabilities or technological capabilities into the South African economy, and you vest it here, and you start making money and generating money and hopefully you generate more money for the local economy than the assets, uh, than the profits that you take out every year. That's foreign direct investment. And then you've got investment inflows, which is the carry trade. We've spoken about it uh, many times. We spoke about it earlier to now. Uh, take uh, loans and low interest in your uh, stagnating economy. Uh, that's why you've got low interest rates in America and Europe is because the economies are stagnating and they can only continue operating with artificial stimulus, which is what quantitative easing and uh, the very strange, uh, I forget the term, it's like a long-term trade and tariff kind of like thing that they, they call it. They've got strange names for it all, but it's all artificial stimulus, which should be illegal according to World Trade Organization rules, which are supposed to make trade equal between countries. Countries. Of course, if your stock exchange is getting something like five uh, billion dollars a month, uh, it receives five over five trillion dollars worth of stimulus over over a period of about seven years. Uh, then uh, the stock prices are going to look fantastic, aren't they? Imagine, imagine if only ten percent of that came into uh, stocks on the JSE. The JSE stocks, of course, are also been receiving artificial stimulus. Uh, before the carry trade started coming into South Africa, the All Share Index back in 2006 was on 17,000, 17, 18,000. Today it's on 56,000. 
and there's no ways that the South African economy has grown to that extent. And uh, the increasing values are in actual fact <clears throat> a function of the carry trade. Uh, the carry trade brings money into our economy. And as a result of that, our trade deficit is paid for. And so the RAND doesn't drop through the floor. So we need to keep this coming in because we are trapped in this thing now. It's a bit like uh, starting to snort cocaine or turn on to some kind of horrible drug. Uh, you become dependent on it, uh, even though it isn't really doing you any good. And, and, and that's what we are. We like those young boys who stand outside uh, crack dens and drug dens and sell their bodies to people coming by so you can get access to your drug. That's what we are doing here in South Africa. This is uh, the uh, the state of play which was dreamt up by it was Trevor uh, Trevor Manuel and Titumbaweni and uh, Tabumbeki. You know, people always say they're very nice guys, but they the guys who made us the rent boy of uh, the world of the world trading markets. That's what we are now. We have to keep interest rates high in South Africa in order to attract that carry trade into our economy. We bring the worst kind of investors into our economy, uh, and uh, so our rand it doesn't fall through the floor. Uh, although, you know, um, very interesting thing I picked up uh, going through the Competition Commission uh, hearings uh, into uh, Rand manipulation by the banks here in South Africa, and I don't doubt that it continues, and and this probably continuing right now today, um, and that is that the uh, the major banks and the traders they use communication platforms on uh, Reuters and Bloomberg. Now, if you go and you look at Reuters and Bloomberg, every time they bring out a story on the South African Rand, uh, it is the government did this thing, another Rand has gone through the floor. Uh, this thing happened in South Africa. Trade unions are on strike, and so the RAND went through the floor. Uh, but if you have a look at our, um, at our trading our currency peers, such as the Turkish Lira, the Japanese yen, uh, who also on our side of the carry trade, uh, and the Australian dollar, our rand doesn't really budge against them. So in actual fact, you know, uh, what is happening is you're getting strong currency traders using the huge differential that they have in terms of the ratio between volumes and values uh, in order to push the rand down on, on a daily basis and take some profit. And then you get uh, traders in the banks uh, colluding with traders in the other banks, and they use Reuters and Bloomberg services in order to do so. So it's no wonder that Bloomberg and Reuters are always trying to drive the rand down in value because the more traders use their basket of, of, uh, of goodies, then uh, the, the more they're going to make money. So uh, if you're able to align your news reporting agenda with the trading activities of people using your platforms, then it really turns into a perfect storm, doesn't it? So anyway, uh, I'm sure I'm going to be reporting more on this in, in the days, weeks, and months ahead. Uh, and inshallah, if I keep on just plugging away at it, it's going to uh, create uh, some interesting journalism. Do you want to call it journalism? I don't know. I'm... You know, I've been in journalism for many years, and uh, I'm very wary of calling, calling myself a journalist nowadays when uh, you look at the way the, the MSM, the mainstream media, captured media. They, 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 they're whores for the advertisers. That's all they are, whores for the advertisers. Uh, there's no 
in, in fact, very often, uh, you know, the, all, the, all the old kind of uh, rules that newspapers used to have to protect, uh, you know, so supposedly um, objectivity in the papers, they've been thrown out of the window. Uh, you've got all kinds of strange creatures wandering around at um, newsroom floors nowadays, even stranger creatures inhabiting the editorial offices. Uh, so anyway, back to inflation. Uh, analysts say that they don't see uh, us uh, raising interest rates until maybe towards the end of next year, they say, as the food cycle begins to tighten. Uh, you know, they like to speak about these things as though it's like it's the weather, you know. Uh, we've got a high-pressure cell moving in from uh, from Cape Town, and it's bringing with it dry weather. It's going to be causing condensation, so we're expecting thunder showers over Gauteng, uh, you know. That's a rain cycle. Whereas uh, this, this is like, you know, you can imagine like the Reserve Bank governor coming out like a, like a she-wolf sniffing the air. And yeah, she could smell there was an interest rate tightening cycle approaching. Uh, there's nothing natural about it. These are very unnatural things. Uh, uh, synthetic um, contrive, contrivances in order to pursue vested interests. These aren't interest rate cycles or, or bond yield curves. There's nothing scientific about it at all. It's like the crassest form of superstition, I think, is uh, Western intellectualism when it comes to economics and money. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, let's not get too uh, philosophical, shall we? Um, so anyway, analysts are saying that uh, it's probably going to leave rates unchanged next week when it's a monetary policy committee meeting sits down uh, because they're worried that weak currency could threaten to stoke inflation. It will stoke inflation because if you lower the interest rates, the carry trade isn't going to come into South Africa with the same full force and effect. And so uh, we won't be able to cover our trade deficit, and so the RAND values are going to start falling. Uh, so basically, yeah. That's that, that's what they're really saying when they say uh, they say the tweak uh, that tweak to interest rates as uh, some um, pressure groups are calling for a lowering of interest rates may take a step closer uh, because the government has said it will pursue nationalisation of the Reserve Bank. Uh, I can think of many reasons, and I've spoken about them many times on the show already, why it would be a good thing to nationalize the Reserve Bank. But then, of course, we also know that the ANC, just like uh, Donald Trump, is very good at coming up with uh, wonderful theories as to why we're going to roll out things. You know, it's um, non-racialism, it's broad-based empowerment, it's rural development, it's uh, protection of women and children. But in actual fact, those are just excuses to roll out vested interest, same as like interest rate cycles and all of these kinds of things. There is there's why the ANC wants to nationalize the Reserve Bank and what it intends doing with the Reserve Bank that's completely within its control. No one really knows other than a few close figures inside the, the ANC. Uh, the ANC has shown itself, I'm very sad to say, um, has shown itself as, as a government that isn't to be trusted. And unfortunately, uh, you know, the alternatives uh, shuffling their feet in the wings are even darker creatures than the ANC. So, you know, stuck with the devil you know rather than the one you don't know. I don't know. I'm not voting in these elections. There's no one. There's no one. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 sh I'm, I'm scared. I'm going to be 
called to account on the day of Kiyama if I, if I continue participating in this, this joke. It's a charade. It's a grand parade of idiots and whores. <laughs> yeah, okay. Analysts see consumer prices climbing steadily this year due to higher fuel prices and ESCOM tariff hikes going up by 30% this year. Uh, according to NetBank economist Busisiwa Radebe, we won't see inflation breaching the bank's upper target this year, but as food prices begin to rise, you'll see a mild tightening cycle begin later this year. A mild tightening cycle. In, in, in other words, it's going to be, uh, they're going to increase interest rates by 0.25% when the U.S. Fed does so in November. Okay? We said that today. Alright, what day is it? March. March the 20th? We'll see. We'll see. Okay, November. November Fed decision. See if we can remember March 20, what I said today. Okay. South Africa's foreign direct investment more than doubled uh, last year to reach its highest in five years. That's according to the South African Reserve Bank. Uh, and like I said, maybe we should thank Sul Ramaphosa. He said he was going to go and do that. He went over to Saudi Arabia with his buddies, um, Brian Dames, former chief executive of ESCOM and his brother-in-law, Pat Patrice Motsepe. Um, and, uh, well, they're going to be bringing green energy and you're going to see, you know, the government over the next few months or the next year and a half is going to really start pumping renewable energy. And, of course, the fact that uh, the, these three big players are behind big renewable energy, Patrice Motsepe is Africa Rainbow Capital, in Africa Rainbow Energy investing in a big way in green energy. Brian Dames is his main man there. And uh, Sol Ramaphosa is buddy. So expect Sol to really start speaking up renewable energy over the months ahead. Uh, anyway, um, <clears throat> Sol Ramaphosa, uh, he went out on uh, to woo direct investment into South Africa and it would appear that he did pull it off. Uh, the Reserve Bank said in its quarterly bulletin today that foreign direct investment inflows rose to 70.7 billion rands in 2018 from just a miserly 26.8 billion rands in the previous year. The direct uh, investment inflows were the highest since 2013 when we saw investments of 80.13 billion rands. Um, what was happening in 2013? Nothing comes at the strike of my, at the top of my head. I can remember in 2013, uh, we had the longest uh, mining strike we've ever seen in our country's history. Solar Ramaphosa was famous until then for having led the longest mining strike in South Africa's history. That was the 1986 National Union of Miners uh, strike 1987. 1987 mine workers strike that lasted three weeks. Uh, how long did the, the AMCU strike last? It went... I went like, I don't know, did, did it last a year? It just went on and on and on and on. Now, you know how Reuters and Bloomberg and Business Day, uh, they like to say things like, oh, you see all the trade unions are destroying the value of the rand. Well, now with that longest strike that went on for so long, nah, they're so long. I mean, uh, we should have seen foreign direct investors like fleeing the country, but it was like a peak. Huh? It doesn't make sense. 80.13 billion rand in 2013 when we had the longest mining strike in our country's history. In fact, I think it may well have been the longest ever strike in any sector in our country's history. And yet in that year, we saw a huge big peak in foreign direct investment. So uh, does that mean that with the National Union of Mine Workers threatening to go out and strike against the breakup of uh, ESCOM into three parts, uh, other, other 
my unions also threatened to go on strike over the same issue as the uh, as the elections approach in May, uh, and as this uh, crazy bedlam of South African malachite really reaches its peak. Well, then, uh, can we say that we can look forward to foreign direct investment just pouring into this country? <laughs> yeah, the logic, the logic of of the paid for financial journalists. Mm. Yeah, it really doesn't make sense, does it? But anyway, so we've seen last year the highest foreign direct investment into our economy than we've seen since uh, 2013. <clears throat> uh, the the Reserve Bank's balance of payments unit head Pitswart said the higher inflows could be attributed to a more positive investor environment last year. However, portfolio investment outflows, that is the carry trade, fell to 90 billion rands in 2018 from 278 billion rands the previous year, with outflows of 33.9 billion rand recorded in the last three months of 2018. Uh, Right, well, direct investment inflows were recorded despite outflows of 8.2 billion rands in the last three months of 2018 as South African subsidiaries repaid short-term loans to foreign parent companies, the bank said. Could have a look into that as well. Yeah, you know, repatriation of profits is a major cause of. Uh, in, in fact, I, I, I think uh, it is the biggest outflow of money out of our economy. So anyway, you know, direct investment comes in, and then for years and years and years afterwards, they're paying their profits back to the company until any benefits they got from their direct investment have completely disappeared. So whether or not foreign direct investment or portfolio investment inflows into our economy are a matter of, uh, can be seen as a reading for the health of our economy is another matter indeed. Uh, After the break, we're going to have to cross for a few commercial messages. Uh, After the break, we'll be discussing AMCU's extension and the wage agreement in the in the labor court also be discussing palladium hitting hitting a peak today uh what uh, commodity dealers are doing with it and of course boeing's woes as uh, it faces obstacles uh to its latest uh, 737 max fleet which is supposed to now take over the world's fleet for the next 10 years but instead it looks as though, well, you've got like half a trillion dollars worth of planes grounded all around the world right now. Yeah. Anyway, more on that when we come back from this break. Marukha Sahaba, the voice of Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Assalamu alaikum, welcome back. Oh, I went and forgot again, didn't I? Our telephone number here, if you want to call us, is 010 1104 uh, oh, it's O one O double O double one double O four. Simple O one O double O double one double O four. Or you can call or you can WhatsApp us a message on O eight four seven eight six three one three two. O eight four seven eight six three one three two. Well, the South Africa's Labour Court today ruled that the extension of a wage agreement to cover all gold unions and non-unionized employees of Sibanya Stillwater Mining Group is valid and lawful. Now, um, <clears throat> now this means that basically AMCU, which has rejected that wage settlement, 
uh, has to return to work because your, your, your workers have been given the increase and that is it. Uh, Sabanya in December extended the agreement reached the previous month with the National Union of Mine Workers, that's the ANC's Sweetheart Trade Union, and your us and Solidarity, those are management Sweetheart Trade Unions, to all employees of its South African gold operations, including members of AMCU. AMCU rejected the extension and said it would remain on strike and disputed the miners' argument the, the, illegal, the action was illegal because of the extension. Now, you see, this is actually really going to cause some major problems. I think uh, the, uh, the Labour Court has, has stepped in here uh, and it's made a decision. Uh, I don't know if AMCU is going to appeal it. Uh, I think it might be appealable. Uh, AMCU hasn't given a comment on this yet. They probably haven't a look at it. It's been at strike at uh, Sibanya's gold operation since mid-November in a pay dispute, which is, of course, about all of this that's going on. In uh, Last month, it said wanted to extend that strike to at least 11 other mines, including the gold and platinum operations of Anglo-American and Harmony Gold in Lonman. But the Labour Court rejected AMCU's request to hold an industry-wide strike. So AMCU's like losing all over the place on the legal front. Uh, Neil Froneman, the uh, chief executive of Sibania, former of, formerly of Uranium One, said they were extremely pleased with the ruling provided by the Labour Court, saying it provided a clear path, for, path forward uh, and does not com compromise values or undermine other stakeholders who have been negatively impacted by the AMCU strike action. Uh, he urged AMCU to respect the ruling and to follow due process. <coughs> Excuse me. AMCU wasn't immediately available for comment. Ah, well... Uh, uh, I've uh, I've heard of uh, of uh, wage agreements, higher wage agreements being extended to other workers. It's it's happened repeatedly in the trade union environment, where National Union of Mining Workers was usually the the leader in these things prior to uh, the rise of AMCU. Uh, but of course, the National Union of Mine Workers uh, hugely compromised in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of its trade union activities and loyalty to its trade union members. I'm sure that there are many of you out there that don't like trade unions. That's fine. But I mean, uh, I mean, um, I'm, I'm now speaking in terms of the legal framework and the sociological framework that this has been occurring in uh, since the Vian Commission in. Uh, and uh, what was it, 1979, the Vion Commission sat in 1981, trade unions were legalized in South Africa. So this has uh, been a process that has been ongoing in South Africa for many years. And, I mean, the, the precedents were set by the National Union of Mine Workers. Uh, National Union of Mine Workers would go on strike, and then you'd get Fedasa and all, like, you know, Solidarity. What was Solidarity called before it was this... Uh, the Mine Workers Union, I think it was called. Remember, you had those guys with huge big snores and the, the two hammers crossed over, you know, the AWB guys. Uh, yeah, you know, they would they would go to management and they'd say, oh, no, we want more money in management, so we're not going to give you money. You want 5%, we're going to give you 3%. They'd say, okay, we'll take 3%. And then they would take 3%. But the National Union of Mine Workers would remain on strike and they'd get 12%. And then uh, that wage agreement would be extended right across to all workers. National Union of Mine Workers was never stopped from going on strike and getting a higher settlement. And then that settlement was extended to all of the miscreants who like, sort of chickened out right at the beginning of the bargaining process. 
Now that whole process has been turned on its head. The trade union that wants to continue with the strikes has been told you're not going to be allowed to do so. Uh, this strikes me, uh, I haven't studied labor law, uh, this strikes me as being uh, a major change. Uh, and I, I would expect AMCO is probably going to appeal appeal this matter, probably has to go to uh, a three-bench decision in the High Court or maybe has to approach the Supreme Court straight away, Supreme Court of Appeal straight away. Um, hmm? Uh, and of course, it comes down to another issue: Is Amku going to uh, going to obey the ruling? We know that Amku can be very hard-headed. Uh, uh, it it could face uh, legal action if it continues with what is ostensibly now an illegal strike, uh, and could be sued, and you know have to pay a whole lot of money. Uh, that's something trade unions have faced before. It's not the first time something like this has arisen. And so, well, now definitely the ball uh, clearly in AMCU's court. And it's going to be interesting to see if they come out with a statement. Uh, I'll be keeping an eye on that. Maybe they'll come out with something before the end of the show. And if they do, we can, we can report that to you. Um, so anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll follow that uh, a little bit late in the show. If it does come up, uh, uh, Got to change my Google searches and so on, which does remind me I've actually got a story about Google as well. I want to discuss. Uh, Google was smacked with a huge big fine in the European Union today. Um, let's let's quickly move down to that uh, because uh, you know we're starting to run out of time again, as I always seem to do. There's still so much to get through. We haven't even touched Steinoff again today. Uh, sure, you know, Steinoff, wow, man. Uh, their former financial director is now uh, cooperating with the Hawks. Hopefully that's going to, or, or, or maybe that's why they've only studied one deal in, in over a year. I wonder. Uh, uh, Le Hrancy, his name is, he's, he's stepped in and he says he's, he's actually now working with the, uh, with the Hawks. Uh, it seems he signed a section 206 and uh, 216, 216 under the Criminal Procedure Act indemnity from prosecution. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping for his sake that he has done that. Uh, if you ever find yourself uh, in a similar situation, you never hand over the information freely and say, okay, if you promise... If you promise, uh, you say to the policeman who's putting pressure on you, okay, okay. If you, if you promise, the policeman says, okay, look, we won't prosecute you. Just give us the information and we let you go. The policeman doesn't have the authority to do that. Once you're arrested and charges against you, then it's up to the prosecuting authorities, the NDPA, to decide whether or not they're going to give you an extension 216. Section 216 under the Criminal Procedure Act. It gives you indemnity from prosecution in return for giving evidence. I think it's Section 214 and Section 216. So uh, you don't hand the information over and start cooperating until you've signed a 216 contract with the prosecuting authorities. Take the word of a police constable and you're really putting your head into the noose. Uh, so anyway, I hope that uh, Ben Lechrancy, the former chief financial officer for Steinhoff, has uh, signed the same thing. He says he's cooperating and working with all government agencies on this matter. Uh, that was uh, after his name uh, was brought up uh, before Parliament yesterday. Uh, they insisted uh, that they be given the names of uh, the 
the seven top executives who were involved in uh, most of these alleged frauds. It seems very clearly it was fraud. Uh, and, uh, well, <clears throat> maybe the Hawks are just saying, well, look, you know, the Dutch authorities have got formal competence to do this. PricewaterhouseCoopers has also been investigating. Well, of course, PricewaterhouseCoopers was asked by Steinhoff to investigate. Now Steinhoff is sitting on that, on that report and saying, well, you know, it's, it's legally privileged and so on, and we can't reduce it to the public at the moment. And yes, there were seven executives that were involved, but we can't give their names, even though I'm before Parliament and or everything I say here is privileged and is uh, indemnified from any kind of uh, civil or criminal action that could be taken up in court. And as there's no real, like, uh, uh, threat of anything like that happening. Nevertheless, we can't tell you the names. Well, the Parliamentary uh, Oversight Committee was having none of that, and uh, they insisted <coughs> that uh, he give up the names. And so Ben Lachranzi was named. He was now approached by a journalist today, uh, and he admitted, yeah, no, he is... He is working with the Hawks on the matter, and as we heard yesterday, there's only one deal that has been investigated, and now I'm starting to wonder, is Lachranzi's <laughs> is Lachranzi's cooperation actually the reason why only one deal has been investigated? Or is Lachranzi's cooperation a recent development, and are we going to see suddenly the Hawks shooting ahead, and they suddenly going to be start issuing summonses before the Dutch authorities ever do? Uh, there are several other um, uh, uh, authorities that are investigating. I know the um, JSE is also investigating the issue. And who's actually going to get first bite of the cherry remains to be seen. Of course, when you've got all of these investigations happening, then uh, the miscreants start saying, well, I, I, I can't tell you anything because, like, you know, I've been charged by the Dutch authorities. You know, or I can't tell you, I can't tell the Hawks what's going on because, like, I'm cooperating. I'm busy preparing an affidavit for the um, for the JSE authorities, and uh, I think all of these authorities should get together. I don't know who can trust who. I reckon maybe we should put the Dutch in charge of the whole thing, uh, and uh, that will take the things further. Um, so anyway, uh, Steinhoff suspended the Hrancy and ex-director Hrubler. Uh, that's. Um, the Stefan Hrubler, the ex-company secretary, uh, in late August. Uh, while both men stepped down from their roles early in the year, they remained on the payroll. Lachranzi, who's 44 years old, worked under Eurster for almost five years. Hrubler's position included company secretary and executive director of treasury and financing, so they must have known what was happening. Steinhoff says uh, it remains in a precarious position. You don't say it. So, well, I think it's one rand eighty-eight today from its high of 95 Rand uh, in uh, December 2017, seeking to complete agreements with creditors on re-revelations of accounting irregularities. That's uh, raised almost 90% of its market value. Lachranzi <clears throat> blamed Eurster and auditors, including Deloitte, for the retailers' accounting scandal, telling parliamentarians he only became aware of any wrongdoing days before the crisis erupted. Eurster a week later said in Parliament that the origin of the global retailers' near collapse was a protracted dispute with the former Austrian partner, mainly of the valuation and ownership of German furniture group POCO. PwC's report uh, shows a pattern of communications where the senior management executive now identified as Marcus Eurster instructed a small number of other Steinhoff executives to execute the instructions with the help of others outside the company. See, the, the, the guys hide behind the Western mask, the, the limited liability, uh, in order to do all of these things. 
I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, uh, when the Master Bond Commission sat back in uh, 1991 to run about, in fact, it, it sat right, uh, right, right up into the 2000s uh, under Judge uh, Hendricks. Uh, he uh, he did an extensive survey of uh, limited liability all around the world and the ability of companies registrar registrars of companies to, in actual fact, police police all of the different little companies that would be registered on a daily basis, hundreds of thousands of uh, companies, new companies coming to being on a daily basis. But there simply isn't the uh, the inspectorate to ensure that these companies, they produce annual reports, they produce audited statements, <clears throat> and that they pay their taxes. Now, you would think that the government has got a very strong vested interest in ensuring that all of these companies pay their taxes. But then you see uh, what happens with companies is they run into a bit of trouble and they don't pay their taxes here and they say, they look, uh, give us a year, give us two years grace and we'll pay our taxes. Let us get to a stronger footing, you know, all of these kinds of things. And the company registrar doesn't want to step in and say, close down a company because it didn't pay taxes this year because it's going to put people out of business, going to put people on the streets, employees are going to lose their jobs. Um, houses are going to be repossessed and all of those kinds of things creates political instability. So uh, even when uh, the registrar of companies does know about irregularities, he's loath to intervene because he doesn't know the particular economic circumstances of every single company and there's no ways he's going to be able to go and investigate and interrogate all of these facts. It's just too much. So you see, again, this comes to Western, Western, I don't want to call it civilization. I mean, it's not a civilization. It's Western bar barbarity. Uh, you know, with, they've got this intellectual nonsense that, oh, we're like, you know, rationalists and, you know, we don't believe in subjectivity and like Islam and God and those kind of things. Uh, but uh, we're rationalists and we do things rationally and we work out theories and uh, we turn theories into laws and then we pass the laws to have a rational society. But it's completely depraved. It's completely and utterly depraved. There is no link between the theory and the practice. No link whatsoever. And the practice then simply becomes an excuse for illegality. It becomes a veil for corruption. Yes, the courts do have the saying that they can forge a sledgehammer to pierce the corporate veil. They'll have to use such nonsensical language. Uh, but in actual fact, in reality, the courts pierce the corporate veil far too infrequently for there to be any real kind of like positive effect on ordinary people's lives. And so the corporation becomes the mask, behind, becomes the veil behind which the West uh, exacts and executes its evil. Whereas the veil of Islam is, is a veil for modesty and nothing more. But now they demand that a woman must remove the veil, that they must go and parade like that, like they're free women. They're not free. You've got to pay a lot of money for those kinds of women. Yeah, free woman. Well, that's a very joke. Want to see the toughness of Muslim women compared to those so-called feminists? Well, that's a bit of a joke. Really is a bit of a joke, and feminism theory is as much disconnected from the reality as corporate theory. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's not get distracted by that, because of course, you know, feminism's greatest greatest achievement is abortion. 
feminism's greatest achievement is abortion. We 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 can go on to that because it actually relates relates to demographics, the population size, the, the strength of your population, the vigor of your population in order to generate economic growth. Uh, yeah, population control. I'll tell you what, in the West, if uh, if abortion wasn't legal and voluntary, they would make it mandatory. They would enforce it on people. They would enforce it on people based on Malthusian superstitions. You can go and Google it. <gasps> that reminds me, Google. Malthusian superstition. Thomas Malthus, he was you know, the, uh, the, the Western intellectual who started the whole idea of overpopulation and responsible breeding, which really reached its epoch uh, in uh, in the 1960s when the pool was invented. And you actually like were able to start controlling fertility rates. Now fertility rates in the Western world are dropping through the floor, uh, whereas in the, in the Muslim world, uh, they're climbing through the roof. Good on you guys. Tell you what. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll uh, leave... Um, a troubled Steinoff uh, for a while. Uh, the Public Investment Corporation, the PIC, has been given an extra 45 days to comply with the Companies and Intellectual Property Commission. That's a company of registrars in an, in a, in an updated name. Uh, still not uh, properly regulating the companies under its watch. Uh, instead, they're protecting the intellectual property and copyright of the big corporations. This really has become its main function, it would seem now. seems like the like as Judge Hendrik Nall described, the, the, the company registrar back in the 90s was nothing but an antiquated filing office. Well, it is still an antiquated filing office. Well, it's a, no longer an antiquated filing office. Now it's a very modern filing office, but the filing just is ignored. Now it's related to intellectual property, protection of brands, protection of logos, protection of copyright and enforcement of, uh, of royalties. That's what it is nowadays. Uh, it has uh, the company registrar has instructed the Public Investment Corporation, which looks which invests all of the government's pension money, uh, to re to recover forty four point three billion rands made to IO Investment Technologies. That's Iqbal Serves Company. Uh, Iqbal Serves Company is taking the issue to court. They said that the company registrar didn't even approach them, didn't even come speak to them. It just made this order to the PIC. With no uh, adversary vult, with no uh, here in the other side, uh, they are they are saying that the, the that is unfair. And in fact, in in fact, they they are, I think they've got a very a very strong argument there why the company registrar didn't go to them as well. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this is a political move uh, against the Muslim brother. But I must say, uh, Iqbal serve uh, like many um, uh, Muslims in the public light. Uh, wouldn't want to back him. Uh, evidence leader Yanni Luba told the party commission, uh, headed by Justice Lexham Party, that uh, the registrar companies had agreed an extension of the time limit of their notice to the PRC from 15 days to 60 days. Uh, he said he was further informed by the PRC that had been briefed by the lawyers to institute proceedings against IO for an anti-dissipation order against the funds and to reclaim the total amount of the funds. Uh, IO, as I say, has launched its own application before the Pretoria High Court, calling for the notes to be set aside and requesting the court interdict P 
PIC from complying with the notice. Now that matter is due to be heard tomorrow, so that's going to be very interesting. Unfortunately, it's in Pretoria, so I won't be able to make it. It would be nice to be able to sit in the sidelines there and hear things. I've never met Iqbal Serv. It would be nice to meet him too and find out what kind of guy he is. Anyway, uh, the information and communications uh, company will argue the notice issued by CIPC was procedurally unfair because it wasn't given an opportunity to state its case. Uh, I are stating court papers that should the notice be enforced and it is made to return the money, it will cause untold harm. Well, of course it will. There's 4.3 billion rand you've got to hand back. <laughs> uh, testimony before the commission and an internal audit investigation by the PRC has revealed the funds were irregularly awarded to IO when former Chief Executive Dan Machila signed an irrevocable subscription agreement to buy IO shares. Uh, he did that without the necessary due diligence. And uh, he went and also sold like a whole lot of shares, probably at a loss and uh, without any proper oversight. There's supposed to be a committee that oversees the sale of of shares in the PIC, you know, like any Anglo shares. They, they, they tightly held. People want to own Anglo shares. You sell a whole lot of Anglo shares and, uh, you know, the price is going to go down on the market because suddenly someone is seen as dumping a whole lot of shares and the price will go down. So you don't want to do that. You want to sell it over a period. Or you want to choose the best weeks to go and sell the shares. You want to sell the shares to maximum advantage to yourself. That's why you have an oversight committee on these things. Well, Dan Machila said, ah, 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 don't go to that oversight committee. Do it now. I'm telling you now. Uh, Ganwe Adams, uh, who was the portfolio manager, said she received that email and uh, said it was highly irregular. Uh, so, yeah, it looks like there's a lot of smoke there and it doesn't smell very well. Uh, this is the reason why I'm not like, sort of climbing behind my Muslim brother here claiming uh, exploitation and discrimination. Uh, there is a definite stink uh, around that thing. So excuse me for not uh, climbing on board. Uh, Iqbal serves bandwagon. Uh, Google has been fired 1.7 billion rand by the European Union for its third breach of EU antitrust rules in just three years. Its competition commissioner, Margrethe Vestager, said the latest fine for illegal practices in search advertising brokering to cement its dominant market position. Uh, Google's fines in the EU since 2017 now total 9.4 billion rands. Apparently, the latest fine is about 1.1% 1, 1 of annual turnover. So, you know, uh, Google's been punished. Uh, and the Alfred on company was fined 1.49 billion euros. Uh, and it's got to do with uh, uh, if, if you advertise on Google, then your Google searches are going to go up to the top. Your your sites are going to go up to the top of uh, search replies. Uh, and the Google doesn't just do that. Now, you've got other companies that Google, like, say, I mean, that advertise with Yahoo and all of those things. Those companies are then punished. So, uh, yeah, so you, like, sign on, you do a Google search. Uh, you think you're getting all the latest answers. Uh, you, uh, you've got to go through all kinds of steps to try and assure you get the latest stuff, like, you know, you've got to say, and Google always deliberately uh, rates the stuff by relevance instead of date. So you don't get the latest stuff. You get the stuff that Google says is important. So you must always go and change that sorted by relevance to sorted by date, and then you'll get the latest stuff. I don't know if that screens out everything else. I don't think it does, because otherwise it wouldn't have given it a fine. But anyway, yeah, Google, 
Google is not God, as many people have said. Well, that's all of it for today. Jazakumallah for joining us. I hope make dua that whatever trading activity you got up to today has been profitable. And above all, halal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Marukas Sahaba, the voice of Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah.